There's an ongoing argument between two cell phone providers about who's got the best coverage of map and things. But you know, the kingdom of God has a map as well. The kingdom of God is present whenever God's people do what God wants them to. I like to think about it like this. If you can picture uh, the New Holland area and, you know, Satan likes to keep everything in darkness. But whenever you begin to praise God, boom, there goes the light. Or you start to pray with somebody else and in fasting you have a breakthrough and you connect with God, boom, here goes the light. And as much as Satan tries to keep the darkness uh, all around us, God's people, and we've got a map that's just, just exploding. I like the power that we're connected to a whole lot better. This evening, all I can say to you is kind of buckle your seatbelt and hang on, because we're going to cover a lot of ground real fast. Period of time that we're going to look at is only approximately two months, only about 60 days. But the transformation of this fisherman from Simon, as we know him, to Peter just takes a dramatic leap forward in a two-month's time. You've been fasting for about, a, a, is it a three, three weeks or so? Just think about this, just in a, in a short period of time, how dramatically somebody's life can change. It's like this. We've been watching Peter all the way along. He's been following his master. He's been seeing what Jesus does. He's been listening to his teaching, just taking it all in. That dramatic uh, point where, where he recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, and, and Jesus affirms him for that. And then Jesus begins to tell him that he's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they're going to crucify him. And Peter's going, no, that's not the plan. The plan is that you're going to set up your kingdom and I'm going to be right here with you and we're going to take this whole, we're going to take Jerusalem back and we're going to reestablish this throne of David and I'm going to be right here and, and I'm going to be a big shot. Truthfully, we would all like to be big shots in God's kingdom without the suffering. But Jesus makes it very clear that the only way to get up is to go down first. Paul writes about that in Philippians chapter 2. He said, Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus, who didn't think the equality with God was something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant. And he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I had somebody uh, help me to understand that. Don't how an eagle, an eagle's claws, they come out and they grab. It's it. He didn't think equality with God was something that had to be gripped onto, like an eagle's talons grips on. They, don't, they do not let go. And Jesus could have held on to all the glory that was his. It was rightfully his, but he laid it aside. He doesn't have, and he took the form of a servant and he became obedient to death. And therefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him his name, which is above every name that is the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord and it's going to give his father glory. Now listen, somebody else helped me to understand too that that highest place was vacant until after Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And it's that position that Satan wanted when he first exalted himself and God kicked him out of heaven. That place was reserved only for the one that was willing to take the position of humility. We have Peter following after. And this, think that they would get it after a while. But they didn't. Even to the point where Jesus wants to eat the Passover supper with his disciples, you know what they're arguing about on the way to get to that supper? Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? Well, Peter and John, uh, James and John thought it, it was them. And they even had their mother get in on the act, you know? Uh, do you think you could have one of my sons and one of my sons? It was. You ask any Jewish mother if her son is the greatest, and obviously. Well, that kind of got the other disciples a little bit upset. I can't even imagine Peter. 
Peter has to one-up it. Because when they, when they get to the, to the place of the upper room, do you know, what's, you know what the problem is? There's nobody there to wash the feet. Now, it's not some ceremonial cleansing. There's usually a servant that's assigned to that task. The lowest servant in the household takes care of that task. And when Jesus sent the two disciples on ahead to prepare for the, for the Passover... I don't know if he specifically told them not to have a servant there or not, but there was no servant there to take care of that task. And these disciples go into that upper room and they go, I'm not going to do it. Mm-mm. That's not me. That's, well, Andrew, why don't you do it? No, not me. And, and they're, 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 it's like the big elephant in the room. Everybody knows it's there. I mean, this is dirty feet we're talking about. You've got to understand, when they're reclining at the table, they, they're not sitting at, on chairs. They're, you know, and your, my feet might be in somebody else's face. This is not a pretty picture, is it? There was a need, but none of them were willing to take the assignment of washing the feet until supper was over, John writes, and supper being ended. And Jesus, knowing that he was going to the Father and and all things were in his care. He laid aside his robe, this robe that represents everything that he is. He lays aside the robe and he girds himself with a towel and he stoops down and he begins to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was around him. Let me tell you, folks, when the church and the people of God are willing to take the place of humility and service to their fellow man, you open the door for ministry that no other, no other attitude can, can, can come across. And Jesus takes that position, and he's going around, he's washing his feet, until he gets to our man of the hour. <laughs> These other guys might let you wash their feet, but you ain't never washing my feet, Jesus. I'm better than that. He didn't say that. That's what he was implying. I'm, I'm to, I'll wash my own feet before I let you. Well, I don't want you to see how dirty. I, I, and Jesus tells him, you know, if you don't let me do this for you, you have no part with me in the kingdom. Well, then Peter said, <laughs> well, if that's the case, well, not just my feet, you know, pour it on, Lord. I'm available, whatever it takes. Yeah, no, Peter, no, just your feet. And he gets all the way around and takes care. Nobody else dared say anything. Nobody's, nobody else says a thing. All you can hear is the drip of the water back into the basin and that towel. Maybe the creak of Jesus' knees, he stands back up, moves to another, and, and the basin sits down again all the way around the circle. And he gets up and says, you know, you call me teacher and Lord, and that's right. And if I've done this for you, you also ought to do this for one another. A new commandment I'm going to give you tonight. Pay attention. Listen up. This is something new, that you should love one another as I have loved you. Jesus was trying to get at the root of this whole I'm better than you business. If there is one thing, if I could wave a magic wand, if I could wave a magic wand and get rid of one thing, It would be this issue of pride. Pride and arrogance. It would be this issue that I'm better than you. But there's only one thing that takes care of that, and it's the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. You you think about it. Pride is what made the devil the devil. And Jesus, love each other as I have loved you. Don't think that you're better than somebody else. Don't place yourself above another. Be willing to serve one another, even as I have served you, 
so you also ought to love one another. Well, that night, there was some discussion, and Jesus, Jesus began to tell his, tell his uh, disciples that, when are you going to betray me? And you're, you're all going to fall away. Peter? <laughs> Look, if all the rest of these guys do, <laughs> I got your back, Lord. You can count on me. I'm going to be there when it gets tough. And you know all those things that we say when we're sitting in an upper room with our friends. And Jesus looks at him and he says, now get this, listen carefully. Simon, Simon. Wait a minute. You are going to be called Peter. The rock. Listen again. Simon. Simon. Satan's asked to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you. And when you recover, that's basically what he's saying. When you recover, I want you to strengthen your brothers. Does it encourage you to know that Jesus knows our weakness? He knows what we're going to do. And he has prayed for us. And he anticipates that when we recover, we're going to be able to strengthen our brothers. Simon, Simon. Because he knows that that's Simon talking. That's not Peter talking. Well, I'm not quite sure that Peter really believed him. Now, there's discussion about what that means. We know that a certain watch, a certain changing of the Roman guard was called cox crow. There's a certain changing of the Roman guards that's called cock shut or cock closed. Cox crow and cock shut. But this might have been a rooster. However, all we know is that when that point happened, Peter knew what it meant. Mark tells us that, oh, I'm getting ahead of my story. Let's, let's, go out, let's go out to the Garden of Gethsemane because I got, I got something I want to say to you out there. Jesus, they, they finished in the upper room and they, they sing a hymn and they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus has the disciples there and he calls Peter, James, and John and says, I want to take you a little bit further. Can you pray with me? Because my spirit, my heart is heavy tonight. Can you support me in this? And Jesus went a little further down the road, or down, down in the garden, and he began to pray. And what did Peter, James, and John do? Fall asleep. Do you find that it is very easy to fall asleep when you're trying to pray? I know that feeling. You know, there's... I, I can get really tired if I start to pray. It is hard work. When you purposefully pray, it is hard work. And I believe that Peter, James, and John had all great intentions of watching with the Lord, for, but you know the day was long. And it, it, was, it was night, and it's peaceful here in the garden. And uh, off they go. Whew. Gone, sleep, sound, sound out. Jesus comes back and finds them there. And, they're, and he shakes them and wakes them up. He says, please, friends, can't you watch with me? One hour. And he goes a little further. And he prays again. And you know the agony that's in you. We've read the story. We know it. And, and he comes. What? They are sound out again. I'm, I'm sure, you know, oh, this time, we'll stay awake. If we have to put toothpicks in our eyes, Lord, we're going to stay awake. Here it is, Lord. We're with you. We're, we're, and next thing, gone. Third time, Jesus goes to pray, and he comes back, and he finds us enough. Now, let me ask you something. This just struck me today. So I'm, I'm plowing a little bit of new dirt here for myself, but I've been mulling over this a little bit. And I got to thinking, you know who was able to face the trial that they just was, was just around the corner? It was Jesus. 
Why? Because he prayed before it came. Yeah, th- see, this, this is what was bothering me somewhat today. Oh, bothering me, maybe not the right word, but it was just mulling around in my mind. Peter, like, like I so often, I'm real good at praying when the cross is right there. When I'm in trouble, when I have the, the calamity of the world coming down on me, when I'm in the midst of crisis, I'll tell you what, my prayer just steps it up a notch like you would not believe think that maybe some of you too, when you're in crisis mode, there's, a, there, there, there's an intensity to prayer that's not there when the crisis isn't present. But Jesus was able to face the crisis of the trial and the cross because he prayed over here. He prayed before it came. He was prayed up. And what was Peter doing before his time of crisis? Even though he had heard Jesus say, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, he falls asleep. So you think about it. If you're going to handle the crisis that come to your life, it's not a matter of if they're going to come. There's going to be crisis that you're going to experience. And you don't know whether it's just around the corner. But are you Prayed up now. It was a, a New Year's Eve day. The, the day before New Year's Eve. Whatever. Back a couple weeks ago. I, I don't know. Something was wrong with my truck. I'd go to start my truck. And my radio, everything was shut off. No, no presets on my radio. What's wrong with this thing? And it, it would uh, kind of not sound right when I went... I woke up in the middle of the night and went, I'll bet you my battery's going weak. Uh, so now I'm afraid because I got to go to work in the morning. I don't want to go out there. and you know. So I said, Lord, can you please get me somewhere where I can get my battery tested? Well, this is New Year's Eve, and lo and behold, I get to the place, and I pull into the, to the auto parts place. I say, can you check a battery? Yep. Mm-hmm. He gets his old fancy little piece of equipment out there and plugs it in there. He says, how did you get here? I I drove here. He said, how did you get your truck started? Did you have to jump it to get it started? I said, no. It won't start again. I said, can you put a new battery in it for me? I was disappointed in myself. You know why? I missed a fantastic opportunity to give God glory to that ignition that day. Peter... It's a little bit later in Mark. The crowd comes and takes Jesus. And Mark says that the disciples scattered. And after a bit, here comes Peter and specifically says, and he begins to follow from afar. I tell you, that's a problem. If you, if you find yourself following Jesus from afar, you're setting yourself up for some big time trouble. He gets into the courtyard. <laughs> a little servant girl comes around her and says, I know you. You were in the garden with him. No, not me. A little bit later, at another fire, surely, you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Oh, no, I don't know him. A little bit later, yes, you are certainly one of those disciples. You're with him. No, and he begins to call curses down himself. How low? How low? And about that time, the rooster crows, or the guard changes, or whatever, and Peter goes out, and he weeps. Do you, you, you ever been there? You say, how could I have done that? I know better. How? How could I, I, I let him down, I let myself down. I, it, oh, man, you talk about guilt. And for somebody like Peter, this type A personality that's used to, to being on the top of the world, now he's about as low down as he can possibly get. Satan is sifting him to the very core of everything that he is. 
How can I? Oh, man. I don't even know if I want Jesus to rise again. How could I ever face him after I said that I wasn't going to deny him? And I did. And you ever been there where you wish you could turn the clock back a little bit and undo what just happened? We've all been there. Remember what Jesus said? I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. And when you recover, when you recover, I want you to strengthen your brothers. Peter had to see Jesus up on the cross. He was a long way out there. The only one at the cross was John. You talk about three lonely, sad days. That's a long time for Jesus in the grave. But Sunday, like Tony Campolo says, Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. And when Jesus rose from the grave and he met Mary and he tells him, go tell my disciples and Peter, I'm going to meet them. We don't know what they talked about then. But that's one time that Jesus appeared to Peter after his resurrection. It's one time. How do you know God's real? How do you know God's real? It's been a couple years ago now. Jay and I were sitting, sitting at home and knock comes on the door. We weren't expecting anybody. I open up, here's this young lady, and she's saying, I don't know how, how do I know God's real? How do I know that God's for real? We've been talking with this this young lady for quite a few years, back and forth in relationship to the Lord. So over the next hour and a half, two hours, maybe there was this discussion, maybe call it debate, and there was always an excuse for, no, God's not real. And even if he was, he wouldn't want me. And you just look at all the stuff that I've, you know, I've, I've been bad since I've been born. And just this, every excuse in the book not to want to believe and accept that God is real. I'll tell you, there's times when I'm sitting and I'm getting frustrated because it doesn't matter what truth you present, it's counter whatever you call that in debate. It's countered. And then there's this, this little voice that I hear sometimes that says, I want to prove to her that I'm real. I want to talk to her tonight. I'm going, okay, Lord, how, how, how is it that you want to talk to her? It says, I want her to choose a number between 1 and 150. And I'm going to speak to her tonight. Well, there are 150 chapters in the book of Psalms. And says she's going to pick the number and I'm going to talk to her. So I says, Lord wants you to pick a number between 1 and 150. You know what she said? My dad was 51 when he died. I want 51. Okay? Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And it goes on from there. You would have thought that I punched her hard. Her mouth just dropped because all the things that we had just been talking about, the Lord confirmed right there. We printed it out, but it wasn't enough. Unfortunately, she's not walking with the Lord right now. But on that point, at that day, there was no doubt that God was real. I want to tell you, you can know the same kind of certainty that God is real. We know what it's like to feel the oppression of guilt that just is about, you know, David writes about as as his bones being crushed. You know what that feels like. Guilt is probably one of the strongest emotions next to love that there is. It's a powerful motivator, but it can crush you. Well, let's go to John chapter 21. How long ago was Christmas? A month ago, right? Now, think about it. It seems like forever ago, but it's really not that long ago, right? Now, you've got to understand that within a period of about 30 to 40 days, Jesus showed himself to the disciples three times. And the one we're going to talk about now is the third time. Okay? John chapter 21. Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, so up by the Sea of Galilee. Oh, wait a minute, up there. This is, he went home. Brothers and sisters, he went home. He's 75 miles away from Jerusalem. Where did all the action take place? I don't want no parts of being down. It's scary down in Jerusalem. It's risky down. There's people down there that might not like me. There's people down there that put Jesus, and that was only a month ago. Understand the context. He hightails it and gets back home. It's safe. Who says you can't go home? So he's up there home. He's sitting around because he doesn't know what to do. He's followed Jesus. His world has been changed. He can't quite let it go, but he can't quite accept it either. Now, he's seen Jesus twice, but where have you been lately? You ever feel like that about God? You know, I, 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 I like you. I like you when you're around. But where have you been lately? Why are you hiding? And Peter, he gets bored. So he thinks the, the, the best thing to do when you're bored is go fishing. I happen to agree. Goes fishing. He, he gets up one day. And I can see, you've you got to understand. Peter is probably pacing like a caged cat. And one day he just says, I'm going fishing. And it was all that the rest of them, we're going to go along with you. They were just waiting for Peter to decide what to do. All right, so we're going to go. We're going fishing. They go out and get in their boat. Oh, boy, does this sound familiar. Simon Peter told him, said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When else was it that they caught nothing? Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Yep, they caught nothing. There's no fish in that sea again. All night long. You got to understand that when Christ calls your name and gives you an assignment to do, there isn't anything else that you're going to be able to do effectively except what he wants you to do. You're going to try to do it. You're going to work with, with all your power and with all your might, but I can assure you, I can tell you as sure as I'm standing here, you will not be effective at it. You'll just wear yourself out. Fished all night. Didn't catch nothing. Well, it was about morning. About morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but they didn't know it was Jesus. And all they heard was, Do you got any fish? Now, let me tell you, if you're a fisherman and you fished all night, and you didn't catch anything, the last thing you want to admit is that you don't have no fish. Do you have any fish? How do you think they would have answered? 
No, we don't have any fish. Oh, it's just, hmm. I, you know, I've, I've been there. No, we don't got no fish. Throw your net on the other side of the boat and you'll catch some. Well, remember what Peter thought once before. You don't know nothing about fishing. Now, I haven't seen this for myself, but I'm told that the, the boats, the, the fishing boats on the Sea of Galilee are pretty much set up so that you fish off of the one side. There's things that happen over here that your net comes in and somehow, you know, some, but you don't fish off of that side of the boat. That, that's not the way that it's done. And besides, what is there? Eight foot from side to side? Like I'm going to put my net down in here and then I'm going to put my net in over here and then I'm going to catch fish? Listen, listen, people. It does not matter that there's no fish there. It doesn't matter that there's only eight foot from here to here. When Jesus tells you to put your net on that side and that you'll catch fish, you put your net on that side. All right? Now, whatever they had to do to make it possible for them to throw their net over to that side of the boat, they did it. We don't know how long it took them. But they got the net to the other side of the boat. Wham! They had a blast of fish. But this time, something was different. The first catch, the nets began to break. This catch? Mm Mm-mm. There was a hundred and some, they had a number. But the fish, but the net didn't break. Let me tell you what, the kingdom of God, when you get, when you get into the kingdom of God's net, you ain't getting out. It's one of those things, too, that, that you've you got to think through. I'm used to fishing this way, Lord. Can't you bless this way? You know, can't you bless my fishing the way that fishing's supposed to be done? Why do I have to go to the trouble to move whatever? Don't you know, God, that's not the way it's done? People get used to doing church the way they get used to doing church. They get used to catching people the way they get used to catching people. But sometimes you ain't going to catch the people that Jesus wants you to catch by trying to catch them in the way that you're used to catching them. You follow all that? All right. The problem is sometimes we have to make adjustments. At the command of the Lord, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you'll catch fish. Do you realize how stubborn some churches can be? They catch fish. John says, it's the Lord. Peter gets his coat back on, jumps into the water and goes swimming to Jesus. He, he don't care about the rest of his his friends out, they can take care of the old fish. I'm going to see Jesus. You know, I would not have blamed any of the rest of them for jumping in the lake the same, the same way. But I'll tell you, there's something about when you feel guilty and you've met with Jesus once, there's nothing that you want more than to be in his presence again. And, and, and they, they come out and they're, they're, they're with Jesus. And he's teaching, he's accepting them. He's brought them back again. You know what I mean? This is the way it was supposed to be. This is the way it was. Wow! Do you know what it's like to get back into the presence of the Lord? There, there is nothing like that. And then Jesus and Peter take a little stroll down the, down the lake. And Jesus asks him a question. He says, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? These... Smart people that have been able to figure out what tenses and what things refer to what objects and stuff say, they was referring to fishing boats. Do you, do, you, do you love me more than the fishing boats? And also, the, the essence says, do you, do you love me unconditionally, Peter? And Peter says, you know you're my friend. 
And that's not what Jesus asked. Do you love me unconditionally, Peter? Peter, you know, you know you're my friend. We have a great friendship, God. Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. Well, a little bit later, do you, do you love me unconditionally, Peter? Well, you know that we have a great friendship, Lord. Well, feed my lambs. A little bit later, Peter, do we have a good friendship? Well, John writes that Peter was really hurt that Jesus asked him that that way. Do we, do we even have a friendship? Well, Lord, you know all things. You, boy, does Jesus know all things. Feed my sheep. This is another, some very new ground for me. But as I was reading this story this time, I remembered something that Jesus said, that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. Look at the two coming in contact. Love, do you love me? Then take care of my sheep. Now, this is, this is also brand new today, so I, I haven't had opportunity to flesh it out, but I'll, I'll share it because it, it, it seems to make sense. We spend a lot of time chasing the symptoms of a life separated from God. We try to stay away from greed, from jealousy, from pride, from uh, lust, and we try to stay away from all these things, and God is just asking, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? If we could manage to love God, the rest of the things would take care of themselves. Stop chasing after the symptoms. Go right straight to the core. Love God. Get good at it. Get good at loving God. And the rest of the stuff is going to take care of themselves. There it is. Feed my sheep. Peter could have felt that he was disqualified forever from doing anything in the kingdom of God. And Jesus comes right back to him and gives him this assignment. Feed my sheep. Remember what Jesus prayed for Peter? I pray that when you've recovered, that you'll strengthen your brothers. Now, Peter's told to wait. I can tell you, Peter, that's not his strong point. Waiting, waiting and Peter don't go together. But you know what? He's not going to miss it this time. Jesus told him they were to go back to where? Jerusalem and wait for the promise that the, that the Father was going to send. The Holy Spirit was going to come. Guess what? Peter's in Jerusalem now. He's not back up at home. He didn't go home. It was about 10 days there. That's long enough for Peter to get antsy, to think about going fishing, to think about doing something other than being in that upper room with those disciples. Now, they did some other things that day, but the day came... And the promise came and the power of the Holy Spirit came and they were never the same. And this Peter, who was running away and denying that he ever knew who Jesus was, he was afraid of a servant girl in the middle of the night at a fire in a little courtyard here. That Peter, that same one, Simon, on that day of Pentecost stands up in the middle of the morning in front of the very people that were shouting, crucify Jesus, just 30 days, 40 days ago. That's not a long time ago. He's standing up, and from a balcony, he's shouting, this Jesus, who you crucified, the Lord, he's God. God raised him from the dead. Whoa. And he's, he's just letting them have it. No Simon here. And you talk about a dramatic change in somebody's life, and it comes because the power of the Holy Spirit of God comes and enters into that person's life and just ignites their ministry. You cannot do that on your Simon power. 
No. You can run your little gerbil on that wheel all you want, and you're not going to get anywhere. But when the Holy Spirit of God comes, you don't care who you're talking to. And Peter was not afraid that day. And he preaches a sermon that they could not misunderstand. I think I said that right. There was quite a few people came to faith in Jesus that day. Next thing you know, there's more people. Next thing you know, Peter and John are going to the temple, Acts chapter 3. Along the way, there's a beggar that's been laying there ever since he, ever since he can remember. Well, I can tell you this. If you are, are, are walking down the street uh, and Peter goes up, goes up, you know, look at us. Ooh. You know what that man thought? They, he thought that he was going to get him a good gift, that this person really wanted to show off. Look at us. And it's all right with me. I'm not proud. I'll take your gift. You just give it to me. I, that's okay. Silver and gold I don't have. That's a mean trick. But what I have, I'm going to give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Now that, that boy right there, he had to make a decision. Do I want to leave this wonderful life that I have laying here by the beautiful temple gate? Or do I want to walk and have all the responsibility that goes along with that. There was a missionary who told me a story. They, they were on a mission team, and they were eye surgeons. And for the whole period of time that they were at this one city where they were doing eye surgery, there was this individual, and they, she was blind. And, and she was, this surgeon was convinced that it was a... Uh, what do you call a reverse? That could be reversed. That her blindness could be reversed, and said, "You know, please come. I think we can help you." And the the last day that he gave him a card and gave him an appointment, and please come. We we can help you to see. The person didn't show up. On the way out to the airport, they they saw her walk and says, "Why didn't you come? Why?" Did... I'm used to being blind. Listen, there are people just like that. But not that boy, not that day. He stands up and he creates a ruckus in church. I mean to tell you, he got everybody's attention. Silver and gold I don't have, but I'll give you what I got. What are you you going to tell to the impossible situation that you work with or you live with? Silver and gold I don't have. But what do you have? What's in your hand? Well, I can pray for you. Really? Do you really believe that that will make a difference? I mean, you're talking about fasting. You're talking about praying. Do you, are you convinced that what you're praying for is going to make a difference in somebody's life? Let me see if I can catch this right. Hope is wishing that something will happen. Faith is believing it's going to happen. You got it? Hope is wishing it might happen. Faith is believing it's going to happen. Are you hoping or are you praying in faith? That's the only way that I can differentiate between those two. A little bit later, the very ones that put Jesus to death, Peter's brought before them on account of that man that was healed, and they said, you know, you got to stop talking in this, in the name of, of, of Jesus. You, you, you're, you're making, isn't that a pity? And Peter responds to them. This Peter, who used to be Simon, who used to be afraid of a servant girl suggesting that he might know Jesus, says, judge for yourselves. Is it right that we obey God? Listen, we will obey God rather than you. I don't care what you do. And they go out. They, they, were, they were challenged not to speak anymore in, in the name of Jesus. And they go out and they gather with their, their friends and they begin to pray. And you know what? There was an earthquake. The place where they were at was shaken and the power of God came once again. Listen, people. 
that God is wanting to shake his church. You pray, you believe, you have faith. You're going to be changed from assignments to Peter's. You're going to be changed from whatever it was that you were to whatever it is that God wants you to become. You have the opportunity because God is still sending his Holy Spirit. He is still transforming lives. He is still making caterpillars fly like butterflies. Still doing it. I want to close with this. This is years later. Years later. Peter is writing a letter again to that church at Rome that's undergoing the intense persecution. Remember I said about Nero having burnt the city and blaming the Christians. But listen to what this more mature Peter writes to them that suffering. First Peter Chapter 5, verse 5, I'll, I'll just start reading there. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. What, does that sound familiar? Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Does this sound familiar? Do you think Peter was learning any lessons about humility and pride versus pride and arrogance? Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Verse 8, be self-controlled and alert. When was Peter not self-controlled and alert? It was back there in the garden. Do you think he ever forgot that lesson? Never. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Peter knows what the devil does. And the devil still wants to steal, kill, and he still wants to steal your joy. He still wants to kill your relationships. He still wants to destroy everything that God declares to be good. And he's still doing it. Resist him. This is what Peter is saying. This mature man who has now become the rock. Historians tell us that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified in the same way that Christ was. What a, what a terrible, terrible way to die. Where are you at tonight? You know, we can take this, this whole look on this spectrum of when we started on Sunday, we have Peter as Simon just coming to Christ. Some of you are still in that period of that time. You're, you're trying to decide whether Jesus is who he said he was. Some of you have made the step. You said, yes, I acknowledge that Jesus is who he said he was, but I, I, I'm, I'm, having, I'm having a hard time letting go of some of this stuff in my past. Let me tell you, you don't let it go by yourself. God empowers you to do that. There's something that's kind of interesting in the, in the story of uh, Jesus raising Lazarus from the grave, remember? Right, right after Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave, he said, loose him and let him go. And the fact is, the power of God raised him from the dead, but it was the gathered community that was to take off the bandages. The church, you're getting very good at that. People have a lot of hurts here. And you're allowing those bandages carefully to be unwrapped, but do not deny the eternal life of God in that person. It's going to get released. It's going to be set free. Don't miss your part in helping that to happen. So God God brings you along. Yes, then we have these points like the Garden of Gethsemane. All I can say to you is, Pray up before you get to the crisis. Don't wait to crisis mode to to get your prayer in action. And when you recover, when you recover, there's going to be a testimony. God doesn't waste that. Peter never forgot it, even at the very end. He's still writing about it. I encourage you to walk in humility. 
Meet the needs of those that are around you with grace. Pick up the basin and the towel, even when no one else will. God will bless that. Love the Lord your God with everything you got. And serve his people. And the light in the kingdom is going to go on. It's going to happen here. 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 And guess what? Verizon's map ain't got nothing on you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. Blot out our transgressions and let these bones that have been crushed by the failings of a sinful being, let them once again know the joy of what it means to be forgiven. I pray, Holy Spirit, that if there is any here tonight that is not sure that you exist, that you will make yourself undeniably known to them. Speak to the very core of their being. Set them free. I pray for some that have walked with you for a period of time. They've listened to your word. They've, they, they, know, they know you. But they're distracted by other stuff. The cares of this life. The deceitfulness of being wealthy comes in and it's choked out your word. And it's like a jungle and, and we're struggling, Lord. Come like the master gardener and prune it out. Set us free, Lord Jesus. Give us courage to pray. And the encouragement to pray when it seems like everything is going okay. And help us, Lord, when those crises hit and catch us, just blindside us. Take the wind right out of us. Knock our feet right out from underness. And we wonder, how could that happen, God? How could I let you down? Lord, come by your comforting spirit and speak our name again, drawing us back to yourself. Set the fish in front of us and speak your grace into our life once more. Renew the covenant that you have with us. As we long, Lord, to be in your presence, we want to be there. There's nothing like it. Give us boldness to speak into the face, even if as the authority that would to try to destroy us. Let us hold high the name that is above every name. And may you be honored. May your Father in heaven receive glory. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah.